Alright, welcome to my confessional. Um, my name is Josh, Josh Rosenberg. I am 41 years old. I have no tattoos and no piercings, but I used to have a piercing. That's right. I had a piercing in my cartilage of my left ear, and that's the upper part of the ear, okay? And I wanted to look cool for the Marin Catholic girls. I thought maybe, just maybe, they'd be into this cool Jewish fella from across the train tracks. Oh, he's not from around here, they would say. Who's that? The Marin Catholic girls would say, who's that with the pierced cartilage? What's his name? Oh, that's Rosenberg. I hear he's single. Well, did you see the cubic zirconia? Bling, bling. Straight out of the upper ear. Caught my attention. I wanted to look cool. Folks, it was 1999. I was 17 years old. And I knew. It's not just the frosted tips and the baggy cargo pants. It's not just the lugs boots and the tribal henna tattoos that would bring the ladies into my direction. But I needed to make a statement, so I went to Claire's Boutique. Claire's Boutique at the Northgate Mall. This story is 24 years old, and I got in line with all the other 6th grade girls, and I winced as they put that pen up to my ear. That's the sound of the piercing. Ow, it actually did hurt. I felt my head get hot. Then they gave me some solution and said, yeah, dab it a couple times a day. Dab it with the solution. I couldn't sleep on that side of my head for, I don't know, five years. That shit got infected in a hurry. The bubble infection. What's coming out of there? What's behind the fake diamond? Is that pus? Oh, yeah. It's pus, ladies. Come get a little closer. Rosenberg's got the pus with his frosted tips and his lugs boots that are giving him another inch and a half of height. Gather around, ladies. Hands off. Claire's Boutique, a place I said I'll probably never need to go back here. Well, I'm here to break some news. As every mall in America goes dormant and will soon be extinct as we've all become addicted to online shopping and there's really no reason to go hang out at the mall, it ain't the 80s anymore, folks. Malls are ghost towns, as you know. Yet, Claire's is still there. I don't even know if it's called Claire's Boutique anymore. Everything's gone. There's no more Orange Julius which Micah's family probably owns. At least that's the lie we told everyone in the early 90s. There's no more Champs. There's no more Prince Plus. There's no more Glamour Shots or Wet Seal or Wilson's Leather or Rave. There's no more Spencers. There's no more Foot Locker. There's no more One Potato Two, Sabaro, Combo King, Aladdin's Castle. There's no more Burgers and Malt and KB Toys and Music Land and Mervins. There's no more Yogurt World or Things Remembered. But folks, what the fuck is going on when Claire's is still there in the mall and they are attracting a young audience of young girls that want to buy expensive tchotchkes and trinkets that are just going to fall apart. And when I say expensive, my daughter Mila lost a tooth, so we gave her five bucks. She took the money and she said, 
What do I do with it? Yeah, cash to a little kid is like nothing. It's paper. So we explained that's what you would use if you go buy something. And she said, yeah, I want to go to Claire's. We're like, what What you know about Claire's? Well, she's had her eye on a few things at Claire's her whole life, she told us. And she wanted to take that $5 bill, that crisp five into Claire's. And my wife was working and I was off. So I picked her up from gymnastics camp. Hey, how was camp? And this is the age where they don't really remember anything. They just go, fine. And I go, what'd you do? And you don't get an answer. It's like kindergarten. Pick her up from kindergarten. Hey, what'd you learn today? They don't remember. They don't really even remember an hour ago. And then two days later, they tell you, oh yeah, I got a buddy named Sophia and we're planning to go to the slide. Oh, you got a buddy. Okay. Did you do some art? And then two weeks later, they go, oh yeah, we cut out fruit bowls on day one and we wore these paper hats on our head. You, You never get like the direct conversation. It's always like a creeper. Their memories of what they did at school. What'd you do at camp? And they never tell you in the moment. So I went to gymnastics camp. I said, hi to all the counselors. And they don't even say hi back. What are you doing here? What are we paying for? Parents, have you had that experience? Where you drop your kid off at a camp or even school and you pick him up and you don't get a straight answer. What did you do all day? We want to know. But I took her to Claire's and I knew the $5 bill would not go too far. But I said, I shouldn't have said this. I said, pick anything. We walked into Claire's at about 2.08 p.m. I'm not exaggerating. At 2.50, we were there this long. At 2.50 p.m., I was almost screaming, What do you want? What do you want? I was so cool, calm, and collected. Do you like this? Ooh, do you like this little basket? Do you like this little squishy toy? It's a unicorn. Ooh, do you like this? It's kind of like a necklace made of beads. Ooh, do you like this? It's like a little coin purse do you like this and we went around the store 75 times and she loved everything and she wanted to pose with everything in the mirror and she was really thinking about it she was deliberating to the point where i knew i was going to have to help her decide but the truth is i hated everything i hated everything in there and i saw the prices a little keychain of a mini stuffed kitten that's going for 22 dollars. and we were basically all alone in there except for one other Older grandma brought her granddaughter in and they brought something to the counter. This is a true story. They brought something to the counter. They didn't even look at the price tag when the lady said, okay, $17.99. The grandma said, uh, no. And they just left. They left whatever tchotchke they were going to buy at the counter and they were like, uh, no. Everything there, go into Claire's. If you ever have the chance, you're going to love it. Go into Claire's and just check the prices and say, okay, this is the front for something. What is it really? What's really happening in the back of Claire's? Because there's no way this is a real store anymore. The employee there, oh my goodness. This is probably the most miserable human I've ever come across. Myla comes in all excited with her story. Hey, I lost a tooth. And the girl's like, oh. Just on her phone. Oh, great. A tooth story. Who cares? I guess on one hand, it's good that not everybody has to celebrate my daughter's tooth loss. Tooth loss makes it sound like she has a real oral disease. My daughter's tooth loss. But losing of a tooth, you know, she's telling everyone. Everyone's giving her the, oh, wonderful. She's bound to meet a few of these miserable Claire's workers who are like, no one gives a shit Just find something overpriced and buy it already. We were there for 50 minutes. 50 minutes at Claire's. And by the end of it, yes, to answer your question, I decided to re-pierce the cartilage. The scar's still there. We punctured it, so I'm trying to impress the Marine Catholic folks once again. Who's that? I heard his name's Rosenberg, and he's fast. Fast like a runner? No, no. 
Like he'll get around second base and he's what? He's fast. Remember when that was a way to describe people? Prude, fast, all these things that are probably forbidden words. Oh, she's fast, okay? Nah, I'm not fast. And no, no more piercings. This is where I say just kidding on the podcast. But you knew I was kidding. I didn't re-pierce the cartilage. Just kidding. I'm way over the hump of doing interesting things anymore to my body. There will be no tattoos. There will be no piercings. Although I've noticed some of my students are shaving lines into the side of their head again. I kind of want to do that again. You remember Larry Johnson? Grandma Ma? Always had a line down the center. Anthony Mason of the Knicks. He always had some words carved into his head. I love it. It's back. The line. Vanilla Ice, of course. Classic example. That look is back. Oh, we're so unoriginal in the world of fashion. Just wait 20 years and everything comes back. Just wait 20 years. Like the 90s fashion, it's so ugly. I hate looking at pictures of us in high school. It really is like an ugly era for fashion. Just picture Sugar Ray. Look at the band Sugar Ray. Or was his name Sugar Ray or was the band Sugar Ray? I don't know, but just Google Sugar Ray. That's 90s fashion. You're like, oh God, is that coming back? Sadly, it is. It is. It's coming back. And when I pierced my cartilage in 1999, was I inspired by the Sugar Rays of the world? Oh God. Yes. Yes. You asked for it. Yes. Did that sound good again? The name of that song is Pierced Cartilage. There's another track on that album I really liked called Pierced Cartilage. I was about to clown it. I was all set to be like, Sugar Ray just found it on Spotify, put on a song, and I was like, this is going to suck. Wait, oh, mm, shit, it sounds good. That's how you know you're from the 90s. If you graduated in 1999, you put that song on, you're like, oh, this is going to suck. No, it doesn't. It just never will suck, unfortunately. So give yourself that Limp biscuit. Okay, gave yourself that daily dose of incubus, that weird era of music with spiky haired white guys bouncing around the stage in big pants and puka shell necklaces. And he's going to say pierced cartilage. Isn't he going to say pierced cartilage? No. What other shoes were in besides lugs, boots, Timberland boots, Adidas shell toes, Cortez? I don't know. How gross. Is it to have a corn on your foot? I think it's gross because it's called a corn on your foot. Like I was running. I was like, something's on my shoe. Something's in my sock. It just felt like, you know, a little ball, a little something was in there. I took off my shoe and I took off my sock and go, oh no, it's me. Something callous. What is this? Is it a bunion? And I even asked my wife, do I have a bunion? These are the grossest words in the world of podiatry. Is that scientifically what they're called? Bunions and corns? Ugh. And if you Google images and you just look at bunions and corns, you're like, I am going to barf all over my phone. It's not a bunion, though. When I asked my wife, do I have a bunion? She's like, yeah, that could start looking like a bone, like added growth to your foot. That's not what it is. It's not, it's, it's not that, okay? Before you start clowning me, it's kind of like a little corn. It's a little corn. And I emailed Kaiser. I was like, folks, I hope you're sitting down for this. 
dear doctors, everyone, it's a mass email to all the doctors at Kaiser Sanderfell. Your boy has a corn. What can we do? And the guy that wrote back, he was answering emails for my usual doctor, my primary, who's always gone. She takes a lot of vacations. You email my primary doctor, it's like, she'll be back in five days. But this guy has to email because I guess that's the contractual agreement is that someone has to get back to you in case of a corn emergency. And he wrote, dear Mr. Rosenberg, I'm sorry. He actually wrote this. I'm sorry to hear about your corn. You can get salicylic acid pads over the counter. Best wishes, Dr. Who's Nuts. And I was like, who's nuts? H-O-O-O-O-Z-N-U-T-Z. Interesting, Dr. Who's Nuts. Uh, his nuts, apparently. He is nuts. Or am I nuts for emailing Kaiser about the corn? So, yeah, they're going to get real sick of me. All right? It's not just the constipation anymore. Are you with me, prunes? But we're talking about corns. And it's not bunions, so don't be grossed out. Look at you. You have a bunion. If anyone has a bunion, not me. That was one big, long, humble brag about how I go on runs. All right? If you want to know the point, what's the point of talking? Yeah, I go on runs. I'm trying to get out there. I'm trying to see this world. My wife and I get antsy if we're indoors. Too. I don't know when this started. We used to lounge. My goodness. I remember in college, I could literally. Oh, I don't like using the word literally. I don't want to overly use the word literally. But I think if a college football game on a Saturday started at like 9, 10 a.m., I'm pretty sure I could stay on the couch until the evening games and even the Hawaii game, which starts very late. And like not even leave, just order the food in and not leave. Nowadays, I could barely stay indoors for 20 minutes. So I like to go on these runs. And even when I'm back indoors, there's nothing to watch. We pay for everything. We've got Apple TV now. We've got Netflix. We've got Hulu. We've got HBO Max. I still find myself going, there's nothing. I'll still just go to YouTube and watch Elvis perform in Hawaii. Hey, two Hawaii references in the same rant. But Elvis's concert in Hawaii, when he's doing my way and he's doing all the karate and that white suit with all the rhinestones and his band is so good. And he was great. Oh, really? What an innovative comment. And he was great. But he really was. The man could sing. <laughs> Don't you like this? I got to convince you that Elvis was great all of a sudden. Like you were uh, going to debate me on that. But no, I will. I I'm done with anything. I'll watch Elvis perform on YouTube. Oh, God, how old am I? And then I go to bed with my Ricky Henderson book which I've been reading. I feel like I've been reading that for seven years and I'm only 48% through. How do I know the percentage? Because I read on Kindle, folks. And I don't know what page number I'm on, but it's 450 pages. And who is this book for? Is it just for me? This guy, Howard Bryant, is a brilliant writer. If you're a Ricky Henderson fan, which I am, my best sports memory ever, my greatest sports memory in person is watching him steal third base against the Yankees to break Lou Brock's record the day before he tied it against the California Angels, and I was there for all of it. And those are my best sports memories. When the whole stadium in Oakland, the whole Oakland Alameda Coliseum is watching the base runner. No one's watching the batter. We're all just watching Ricky. It was so electric to feel that, to feel history, baseball history in the making. A record is about to be shattered, and then when he lifts the base, I've never heard a crowd react with that much noise. In all the sporting events I've ever been to, I've never heard a crowd erupt like that, and it's for a stolen base. And everything about Ricky is being captured in this book by Howard Bryant, and it's such a long book because he's just going to drop stories about it. It was 1986, and Ricky is going two for four 
against the Brewers the next day, hurts his knee, and I'm like, this is thrilling. Why is this so thrilling to me to read about everything from his high school days in Oakland when he was a star football player and clearly didn't have the grades to go to college for football? He could have probably played in the NFL. They say he was like, you know, a gifted football player, even way more than baseball. But baseball, it came easy to him. So drafted by the A's, should have been drafted higher. I'm only 48% through, but the stories of Ricky going through the minors and how he was, because everyone loves a Ricky Henderson story. If you're a baseball fan, everyone loves a Ricky Henderson story. But this book dissects the stories, analyzes those stories, and it's like 10 to 12 pages per story. And he's got sources interviewing all of Ricky's teammates and coaches and friends and family throughout the years. And it's just a masterpiece. But then I'm thinking, who's reading this? Like, this is so inside baseball the deepest inside baseball account of a player I've ever read. And I've read some baseball books, pal. And I go to the bedroom at about 9 p.m. as my wife is watching old episodes of Sex in the City. What have we become? What have we become? I'm just in bed. We got AC in the bedroom now, folks. Okay, so picture this. Throw off my shirt, cuddle up with Ricky Book on Kindle. Wife's out there crocheting another stuffy for the kids and watching Carrie and the girls having sex in the city. Is that what the show is? They're all just having sex all over the city. And it's being narrated by Carrie, who is, don't tell me, Sarah Jessica Parker, who's married to, you know, Matthew Broderick, who was in, you thought I was going to say The Cable Guy, but I'm saying Ferris Bueller. Or you thought I was going to say Ferris Bueller, but I should have said The Cable Guy. And can you name another Matthew Broderick movie? You can't. Cable Guy, Ferris Bueller, name another. He's so famous, but none of us can name another movie. Isn't that weird? There's some actors out there where you're like, he's so famous, she's so famous, I can't name one. I, I can't name one. One. Nick Nolte, go. Harvey Keitel, go. Right now. Harvey Keitel, out loud. Christian Slater, just say a movie he's been. You've seen him, right? Gwyneth Paltrow. Name a Gwyneth Paltrow movie. You can't do it. At least you can't right now. You're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. Oh, God. What the hell am I? Oh, yeah, Ricky. I don't know. Oh, the point is, there's so much Oakland history in this book. That's what I wanted to learn. That's how I learn. I realize I don't want to just Google the history of Oakland, but I learn it through the lens of a baseball star. And Howard Bryant, I emailed him. He's not on Twitter anymore. I love this book so much I emailed him. He didn't reply. But just to tell him I love everything about this book, talking about the Great Migration, talking about redlining, talking about the racism, talking about the segregation. I mean, Oakland as a city, which I've talked about, it was a mystery to me. How did it become this? I mean, it is such a slum in certain areas, and it's nice in certain areas, but how did this happen? To know the history of Oakland is important. This is stuff I want to convey to my students. I mean, we should know this. How did society start to look like this? No one would ever design a town to look like this. So what's the human impact? What's the flawed human imprint and we've ruined certain areas that could have been wonderful. Could have been wonderful for all with liberty and justice for all. Amen. Amen. Drop the mic. Are we done yet? Of course we're not done yet. Because I'm only 48% through. I just got to where he's done with the Yankees and he comes back to the A's. And Sandy Alderson is the GM. Getting a lot of credit for bringing Ricky back to the 89 A's. And everyone who questioned him, see, I didn't realize this. When you're a kid, you just watch the athlete. You don't know any of the backstory. And I actually miss those days. I don't like how much we know about our athletes. I don't like that athletes tweet at you. I don't like that they all have reality TV show access into their lives, from podcasts to their wives having podcasts to they've taken over their own media, which is 
noble. It's very respectable. They're like, why do I need the reporters and newspapers? I'll just report to you myself. You follow me? I'll let you know what's going on. I hate that. I don't need that. The sports fan of me just likes to see you on the field, on the court. That was Ricky. But I do like the old memoir where then after the career, I read about everything, the backstory, the tell-all. And it turns out a lot of people didn't like Ricky. turns out a lot of people thought he was hot-dogging it. They thought he was cheap. They thought he was half-assing it. And then he started to win championships. And they're like, "Ah, I guess we're wrong. I could also make the case. I'm going to say this right now. It just became Sports Talk Radio. We'll take your calls after the break. But I think he's the greatest baseball player of all time. If you actually break down every category of baseball, there's not a better all-around baseball player in the history of the game. Didn't have any weaknesses. He had the best eye of all time. All the walks, all the runs, all the hits. Could belt the homers. He could steal a base or two. And that's my Ricky rant. So after the break... You're going to hear the Cars for Kids ad a few times. You're going to hear a few ads from Boot Barn. And who's the ring guy? Tom Shea. The ring guy. Shane. The Shane Company. You'll hear a Shane Company ad. What else do we have? Maybe some El Pollo Loco. And we're back with you on Ricky Talk. Got some interesting feedback here on the old hot wire coming in. A lot of listeners saying, we already know. All right, thank you. Not a big audience out there for retroactive sports rants. How about retroactive hip-hop radio rants? Do you know the name Keith Naftali? Of course not. Do you know the radio station KMEL? Of course you do. Did you realize, though? Hey, Bay Area folks. Hey, Bay Area folks that were pretty influenced by KML, just in terms of the music they were playing was the music we were being fed, so I guess this is the music we'll like, right? Most of us weren't searching back then, perusing record stores. Most of us were just, hey, that's a radio jam. I like it. Sounds good. Heard it at a school dance. I'm going to Northgate Mall to buy it at Music Land. That was radio. But I saw an article recently that KML was ahead of the game. There weren't many wall-to-wall hip-hop rap stations back then in the late 80s into the 90s. So what I was listening to, I just figured this is in every city. But no, there was a guy named Keith Naftali who grew up in the city. This Jewish guy who went to Cal, dropped out, and he started working in radio. Just like everyone does, you start passing out bumper stickers and answering the calls before you get elevated and elevated and elevated again. And soon he was the program director for KMEL by the time he was like 25 years old, which is young. And he was a hip-hop fanatic. But how? If he went to school in the 70s, how was he a hip-hop fanatic already? Well, he was one of thousands of kids in San Francisco back in the 70s that were bussed into other school districts. You know, he was probably in some affluent part or I guess in more of a white Jewish part of the city, but bussed in to Hunter's Point where he went to school in these black neighborhoods Hunter's Point, where he was exposed to the culture and he fell in love with it. There was an article written about him and he said, whereas a lot of my friends and their families were like, absolutely no. We're too terrified to send our kids into these ghettos, as they were calling them. We don't want our kids bust because there was a new court mandated integration of all these San Francisco unified schools. But he was coming back with stories like, look, I know it was 
culture shock for me, but I like what I heard. I like what I saw. I like the hip hop community. I like the rap music that I was listening to. So he took this ear for it and then became a program director. And then all of these people are quoted in the article, giving him props, giving him credit for like, yeah, he fearlessly brought rap to the mainstream radio. A lot of songs that were not being played throughout the country. So KMEL and 106.1, obviously KMEL is still on. I haven't, you know, put my radio on KMEL and I don't know. 18 years, but this guy, Keith Naftali, gets a lot of the credit. It's funny how influential radio was, but now it's extinct. So what's influential? Spotify hits? Downloads? I actually don't know what's shaping people's musical tastes nowadays. Used to be a really easy question. Hey, Josh, what shapes your taste? Like, you like the Fugees, right? You like Naughty by Nature, right? You like Ice Cube, right? You like all that? Why? I don't know, because I'm listening to 106.1 KML. I can remember the first time I ever heard Eminem on 106.1 KML. I can remember the first time I ever heard, hi, my name is. I was like, this is silly, but I love it. So, I mean, that was my reaction to learning about this guy, but I sent the article over to a couple of my Jewish friends, and they were like, eh, critical thinkers. Isaac and Ari were like, eh, interesting article but kind of frames it as like he single-handedly brought hip-hop into the mainstream culture when eh, maybe it was a little bit of bias involved. And then my other friend Isaac says, felt a little creepy to see white people profiting off the art of black people, but seems like he did build a lot of genuine relationships. We got some critical thinkers. We got some think-outside-the-box people out there. Okay, pal? I'll be honest. I'm just a nice Jewish boy who has a subscription to The J, which is a Jewish magazine because I have a nice Jewish mom who got us a subscription to The J. And it's about Jewish news. And you read it and you read it and you read it. And it's about identifying anti-Semitism, exposing anti-Semitism, fighting anti-Semitism. That's probably 70% of the magazine. And then it's a lot of like Jews in Hollywood, Jews in music, Jews in sports. Jews like this. If you don't know, here's a little inside look at jewish conversations we like we like it we will say things like natalie portman you know she's jewish jewish moms they like you to know oh you know that actor half jewish yeah on his, on the mom's side oh you know that pitcher for the orioles the guy who came out of the bullpen three years ago who's jewish you know amari stoudemire converted to judaism you know jordan farmar remember that lakers guard jewish you know this is how we talk we just get excited because we're really a small percentage of the population. But would you think we were bigger? Would you think because of all the Adam Sandler movies on Netflix? There's a new one about uh, his daughters are in it. His daughters are the stars of it. And it's just called You're Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Are we acting like everyone would understand this plot? Adam Sandler's kind of fearless. He's just, you know, doing make believe, pretend costume play with his family. Uh, my wife, she'll be that. My girls will be that. Let's produce it, write a script in two nights, and we'll get it on Netflix. Is he that powerful? I think he is. We Googled his age. He's 56. He's such an old curmudgeon now. Like, he's, ah, in all of his movies. He's, ah, he just seems like angry over it. But still, I mean, doesn't he seem like old and just tired now, but so powerful that he could just churn out these movies and they're on Netflix? You know, there's a big insult. Um, You've heard it. You've heard it. I'll just say it, that Jews own Hollywood. And Jews go, "Ah, that's not fair. How dare you? 
but but there are a lot of Jews working in Hollywood. You know, it's one of those things where you're like offended. You're not supposed to say that. But then you go, well, yeah, if you watch the closing credits to a lot of movies and shows, you see a lot of Bergs and Witzes and Steens and you go, okay, you know, I get it. There's a lot of Jews who work in Hollywood. But hey, you can't say that. Don't say that. But I've noticed, I mean, I've noticed there has to be a lot of Jewish writers because in a lot of the shows I'm watching, there's like bar mitzvah scenes and they're using like Jewish words. And I'm like, how is it that there's only what? What are we, less than 2% of the population? There's so much Jewish shtick in movies and shows nowadays. There's so many Jewish characters. It's like, is everyone getting it? I mean, I'm getting it. I feel like I'm the demographic for a lot of this. But in so many movies, you have so many Jewish characters and it's not exactly representative of the stats. But writers write what they know, and they write it into mainstream movies and shows, and hey, that's us. It seems like a lot of people tiptoe around these topics, that certain cultures, certain ethnicities, certain nationalities, they go into certain career fields, but we're not allowed to talk about it. Is that a delicate topic? Sure it is. People will be outraged. How dare you pigeonhole a whole group of people and say they're good at that, or they go into that field. But then there's also a part of us that don't say it out loud, but we're like, yeah, but you see it. Uh, Yeah, you see it. I remember just talking about sports, talking about track and field. I was doing a radio show the day after like the 100 meters final. And Michael Johnson was interviewed, the great sprinter, Michael Johnson. And I think he was even saying, look, you're never going to see another white sprinter in America. And he was basically saying that black sprinters in track were genetically superior. And he was even talking about the science that he learned about with the quick twitch muscle fiber. And Michael Johnson's comments in this interview, they made people uncomfortable. They made a lot of people uncomfortable. Even if a lot of people saw what he saw and would kind of agree deep down, they didn't want to outwardly just agree with Michael Johnson saying this. It was during the Olympics. And I remember thinking on my radio show, like you open up a topic to callers and you're like, where's this going to go? What direction is this going to go in? And I think there was a segment of the population that was kind of relieved that he was saying it. Like if you watch an NBA game nowadays, it's obvious, right? Like the African-American community dominates the NBA, but it's not something people feel comfortable discussing or even talking about a lot because you don't want to get into genetic superiority of any kind. That just makes people feel really uncomfortable. Because maybe it is a myth. Maybe there's conflicting science on all these. You know, you could go, according to this study, according to this website, according to this website. So I don't want to declare anything like I know anything, but we all see what we see. We all see what we see. We can't deny what we see with our eyes when we watch Hollywood, when we watch sports, but we're not supposed to just declare it. Like we're experts on any topic. And that's kind of safe as well. I guess I'll keep it safe. Yeah, we all see what we see, but no declarations coming from me. I think I'll end with a rhyme. We all see what we see, but no concrete declarations coming from me. Keeping it safe on episode 218. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate the ratings, reviews. I'm going to get back into bed with my friend Ricky, written by Howard Bryant. I don't even think I recommend it. It's not one of those books where I'm like, and you got to read Ricky. No, it's only for me. This book was just written for me. So I'm going to jump back into that. Appreciate you listening. That's episode 218. It's all in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 